The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Welcome to the episode, everybody. We're branching out this week And as you can tell from the title of this week's episode, we are covering a case that has been absolutely saturating the media, social media, news websites, uh, regular news stations, you name it, the coverage is there. If you didn't look at the title of the episode, you might be guessing that this is the case of Gabby Petito. The elephant in the room with this case is that It's absolutely been saturating media like I was just talking about. And with that, you may feel one way or another that we are also covering it. But the truth of the matter is, is that this case does not have justice yet. We don't have answers. So we wanted to take the time in honor of Gabby and what may have happened to put everything in one concise area instead of being from this TikTok video or this article or this thing on Facebook, et cetera, the list goes on. We wanted to instead list out a timeline, talk about the case in a cohesive manner and keep the conversation going until justice prevails. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic to Natalie. Beautifully said, Paige. Like many of you, Paige and I have been following the news of Gabby Petito's disappearance for the past few weeks. We've shared a couple of creators' TikToks relating to her case on Instagram stories, but we've mostly stayed in the background planning to remain there until we had enough information to bring useful and thoughtful awareness to Gabby's disappearance. On top of that, we were nervous and intimidated. And let me explain myself. We've never covered a case unfolding in real time. There's updated information every hour on the hour, And we wanted to make sure to get all the facts straight despite how fast news headlines were emerging. Exactly. We want to participate in this important conversation, but we also don't want to be spreading any misinformation or causing any harm to those involved and 
Gabby's loved ones, anything like that. Absolutely. But that's when you, our amazing listeners, began to reach out in mass about covering Gabby's case. Both of us came to the realization, albeit a tad late, that it's our responsibility as creators with a platform to get Gabby on the minds of our listeners. Because maybe, just maybe, we'd reach someone who knows something and it'd lead us to Gabby Petito. Up until Sunday evening, that was the goal of this episode, to help find Gabby who was missing under suspicious circumstances. In fact, the entire country seemed to be asking the same question we'd been wondering ourselves. Where's Gabby? Unfortunately, as of late Sunday evening, that's yesterday, September 19th, 2021, for those listening at a later time, authorities and Gabby's family have confirmed the discovery of Gabby's body. We're absolutely crushed and heartbroken about the news and can't imagine the pain felt by all those who knew and loved her. However, there's still questions that need answers until Gabby gets justice. Most prominently among them, what happened to Gabby and why? In today's episode, like Paige mentioned a little bit ago, we're going to discuss everything we know about the time leading up to and following her disappearance and death. Our hope is that by doing so, someone out there listening comes forward with information they have pertaining to Gabby's final weeks. This is the story of Gabrielle Gabby Petito. Gabby Petito grew up in Blue Point, which is a hamlet on Long Island in New York. And she dreamt of traveling the country, visiting national parks. She envisioned herself documenting her travels, sharing her experiences with her followers along the way. The free-spirited 22-year-old was known to be artistic and creative. And that's so evident if you just take one look at her beautifully curated Instagram feed or even the carefully edited video on her YouTube channel. She had such an aesthetic. Her mother, Nicole Schmidt, has said that Gabby loved life and, quote, wanted to just get on the road and go. She wanted to see everything and do everything, unquote. However, Nicole has also acknowledged that Gabby wasn't the type of person to venture out on her own. She went so far as to describe Gabby as, quote, very dependent, unquote. This is such an interesting quote when you think about it, because when you consider Gabby's age, 22 since March 19th, she was in a spot in life where you're really considering who are those lifelong friends? Who are your friends, quite frankly, just because they are your friend? Mm-hmm. You're away from college, you're away from high school, middle school, where people are kind of your friends because of, sometimes because of the environment you're around, right? You see them every right. week. Circumstantial friends. Circumstantial friends, you don't even realize it. So she was just entering that phase in life where she would have really had an idea of who really had her back, who were going to be these friends that were going to be her friends for life. She was just getting to that point in life. So the quote is very interesting considering that she was in that phase of life, figuring all of that out and just getting to a point of how to build relationships the way she wants to. And that brings us to Gabby's relationship with Brian Laundrie because it was the most prominent relationship in her life at this point. The couple met as underclassmen while attending Bayport Blue Point High School in New York. Gabby graduated in 2017, and two years later, the couple reconnected, becoming romantically involved 
in March 2019. Soon after becoming official, Gabby moved to the Laundry family home on Wabasso Avenue, Northport, Florida. And that's where she lived with Brian and his parents, Christopher and Roberta Laundry. That same year, Gabby and Brian embarked on their first big road trip together. They traveled west to explore California and Oregon. In Gabby's own words, the experience was, quote, an absolute dream, unquote. In the caption of the couple's only YouTube video, they further elaborated about their 2019 road trip experience. They wrote, quote, after our first cross-country trip in a little Nissan Sentra, we both decided we wanted to downsize our lives and travel full-time, unquote. Any future plans they had for traveling, though, were postponed during 2020 due to the pandemic. I think we can all relate to that. But that didn't stop Gabby's wanderlust and dreams of, quote, traveling the world, unquote, with Brian. Gabby and Brian got engaged a little more than a year ago in July 2020. Gabby posted about it on Instagram with a photo of her and Brian eating sushi on their first date to celebrate the news. Part of her caption reads, quote, Brian asked me to marry him and I said yes. At bizarre underscore design underscore, you make life feel unreal. And every day is such a dream with you. She ended the message with a white heart. There's a lot of talk about the influence that Brian had on this particular lifestyle. Mm -hmm. This idea of letting go, getting on the road, minimalism, go with the wind kind of idea. A true nomadic lifestyle. Yes. And so again, there's a lot of talk about the influence that he had on that Mm -hmm. over what Gabby may or may not have been doing had she not been with him. Anybody can come up with their own ideas on how they feel about that, but it's definitely talked about. And so this quote almost means more when you consider some of the talk around that, because she's clearly saying in that moment how happy Mm -hmm. she was and the spark that he put in her life in that moment during that picture. Looking back on the Instagram, it's like a time capsule now that we know she's no longer with us. That's so true. And that's why I'll be using her Instagram really as the jumping off point for a lot of our talking points during this episode. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Just to talk a little more about the engagement, Brian announced the news on his own Instagram the following day. And the caption hits different now that we know what was going to happen just a year later. He wrote, quote, My biggest fear is that one day I'll wake up and it will all have been a dream because that is what every second has felt like since the moment we found each other. Till death do us part or until I wake up. I'm so happy the answer was yes. Love you, honey. Unquote. Now there's conflicting reports regarding the status of their relationship. The Petito family lawyer, Richard Stafford, said that Gabby and Brian planned to marry, but they had postponed the wedding due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this road trip was what they had chosen to do instead of getting married. Gabby's mom also told the Daily Mail that Gabby and Brian had called off their engagement, but she gave a different reason. She said that 
they had come to the realization that they were too young to marry. However, Gabby's friend Rose Davis also told the Daily Mail that the couple still planned on getting married despite Gabby telling her mom it was called off. Additionally, Gabby and Brian referred to each other as fiancés just days before her disappearance. You can even hear them say fiancé in police body cam footage from August 12th. And we'll be getting into that later on, but I just want to preface that here. Not everything was as perfect between the two as social media made it seem, though. Gabby's friend Rose, that I just mentioned above, had some damning things to say about Brian and his treatment of Gabby. While Rose never saw Gabby and Brian fight, she could tell when they had had an argument. I think this is a true testament to the friendship Gabby and Rose shared because she was so in tune with her friend that she could tell when something was off. She said that within the first year of becoming friends with Gabby, Gabby had spent between seven and 10 nights at her house after her and Brian had fought. She's quoted as saying, quote, he also wanted what he wanted when he wanted it, and he'd find a way to get it. Not in a violent manner, but you know, if he didn't want Gabby to do something, he'd find a way to make it so she couldn't do it. With this, Rose described Brian as jealous and someone with control issues and an individual that experienced, quote, episodes in which he would hear voices and not be able to sleep. She further elaborated on his controlling and manipulative behavior. She gave an anecdote about a time Gabby and Rose wanted to go to a bar with one another. You know, like girlfriends do. They're living in Florida. Why not? But Brian stole Gabby's ID so she wouldn't be able to enter the bars. She also shared another example, and that was when her and and Gabby were sharing locations on their iPhones. They did this in order to keep each other safe in case they ever get lost. And it's just a, a something that girlfriends do. I do it with a few girlfriends. It's not out of the normal. My sister and I do it all the time as well, um, especially if we're driving to one another. She lives three and a half, four hours mm-hmm. away from me. So when I'm driving to go see her, I share my location. She shares her. We have to go through a more rural part of California to get to her called um, the grapevine. Um, And so, yeah, we always just want to make sure where the other one is along their drive, no matter what the danger may be. So this is totally normal. However normal that may be in girlfriends' relationships with each other, Brian didn't like it. In fact, he made Gabby stop sharing her location with Rose the moment he found out. It's hard for somebody of Gabby's age to really grasp and understand this control. You're just coming out of the stage of life where your main central processy was peer pressure. Whether peer pressure led to things good or bad, it's what teaches you in your teenage years what you like and you dislike, right? That peer pressure to try these things. And if you don't have that, you don't learn who's got your back and you don't learn what you like, what you don't like, and you suffer in trying to find your true identity. So Gabby's just coming out of that phase of life. And she's got this controlling relationship, according to these instances from Rose. So how would she even come close to knowing how to navigate this? I want to emphasize your point about this time in her life and friends and the role that they play. Rose is actually quoted as saying, quote, I'm her only friend in Florida to my knowledge. And that's not because she can't make friends. He just didn't want her to have friends. He was always worried she was going to leave him. It was a constant thing to try to get us to stop hanging out, unquote. 
And I think that really encapsulates what their relationship was like. As 2021 rolled around, Gabby and Brian spent months and months converting her 2012 Ford Transit van into a camper. It was complete with a black ladder on the back of the vehicle to provide access to the roof. And it also had an assortment of stickers from their past adventures. They drove to Gabby's hometown of Blue Point, New York in June. They spent a while there. They were celebrating her brother's graduation ceremony on June 17th and hung out with her family. That brings us to July 2nd. The couple embarks on their cross-country road trip and they departed from her hometown. They had an ambitious itinerary ahead of them. They'd both quit their jobs to pursue hashtag van life and were ready for whatever was coming their way. They planned to stop at a long list of national parks before making their way to Oregon, which was their final destination and where they planned to celebrate Halloween. They were also planning to meet up with Gabby's grandmother's friend while they were there. Two days later, July 4th marks the publication of Gabby's first Instagram photo documenting this trip. The location tag is Kansas, so they had made quite a a ways in those first two days. And in the photo, Gabby is posing between a rock formation at Monument Rocks Natural Landmark in Grove County, Kansas. And she captioned the photo as, quote, there's no place like the tiny home we built, unquote. Brian also posted his first Instagram photos from the trip that day. And in his photo, he showed their van. I'm glad I'm not the only one that finds it a bit impressive that they made it that far all the way to Kansas in just two days. That's about 16, 1700 miles from where they left. So they were booking it. They had a mission to get out west and they did it pretty quickly. You're so right. And for the next few days, there was some radio silence. I imagine that they were driving because on July 8th, July 10th, and July 11th, Gabby posted to Instagram from Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's here that she updated her followers from the Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve. In her caption, she talks about how excited they are about traveling in their van. And it really just goes to show that Gabby was in her element. She was enjoying what they were doing and she had aspirations of being a travel vlogger, blogger, influencer, and she was doing it. And it just really goes to show that she felt like she was thriving in that. Five more days passed by and on July 16th, Gabby resurfaces on Instagram. She posts from Zion National Park in Utah and in the post, she writes... Quote, we hiked up here in about 100 degrees and it was so nice coming back to our campsite, watching the sky fill with dark clouds and view the lightning storm in the nice cool air of the light rain. Two more days passed by and on July 18th, Gabby posted photos showing their campsite in Zion. So they're still there or presumably still there. They showed the tent that they were sleeping in and it was really kind of artistic in how she set it up. She has a blanket and throw pillows. There's a guitar and even artwork of the National Park created in the style of Van Gogh's Starry Night. There's also another photo from July 18th where Brian and Gabby are embracing one another at the Narrows at Zion. So it seems that they were having an okay time with one another. 
I also want to point out that during the entirety of the trip, at least at this point in time, Gabby maintained close contact with her parents, primarily her mother. She would FaceTime her mom, text her mom whenever she would have service just to give her mom that sense of comfort knowing that her daughter was safe. Another note I think we can hit here is that with Instagram, you know, we're talking about Instagram, we're talking about these pictures, giving a bit of a timeline and sort of talking about what was going on. We have to remember here, this is what she wanted to put out there. We all know from many of us having our own Instagram accounts that sometimes Instagram is just the good parts that you're wanting to share. So when we're making these comments about, oh, they were embracing or the comment I made just a while back of, oh, it's really showing that she was thriving in that. That's one small sliver of what is behind those photos. Thanks so much for bringing that up. As we all know, social media, particularly Instagram, is really seems to be people's highlight reels of what's going on in their lives. That brings us to three days later, July 21st. Gabby again posted on Instagram, but this time she was at Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah. That's about 72 miles northeast of Zion and about an hour and 20 minutes drive according to Google Maps. The following day, July 22nd, Gabby again posted from Bryce Canyon. She mentioned that it had rained every night that they had been there and how much she was enjoying it. She wrote, quote, rain sounds like a negative thing when camping, but after coming back from a strenuous long hike in the sun with no shade for miles, it's nice to lay listening to the cold rain hit your tent and fight Brian for the blanket, unquote. Four days later, Gabby reemerged on Instagram and she posted a series of photos from Mystic Hot Springs in Monroe, Utah. This is one of the series of photos that I remember the most because it includes that really beautiful like clawfoot tub that's kind of like out in the desert. Also among those photos is one of Gabby and Brian kissing in the hot spring. Four more days go by and July 30th rolls around. Again, Gabby appears on Instagram. This time, Gabby posted from Canyonlands National Park in southeastern Utah. And in the post, she talks about how Brian would hike barefoot while on the trip. She wrote, quote, If it were up to him, he wouldn't own any shoes. But I just find it funny how many people comment on the fact that he is barefoot. Brian inspires me every day on living a more natural lifestyle, building my feet up so I don't have to bring shoes in case, unquote. And this idea of him being barefoot everywhere he goes pops up later on in the story. So just keep that in mind that that's how he would travel. The next day, July 31st, she posts another photo from Canyonlands. But after that, there's 12 days without any Instagram action or activity on her part. This is a big source of questioning when you listen to different people speaking about this case. Until we know what happened, this is going to be a source of question because it really is quite a while for somebody of that age who was posting and doing what she was doing, which was travel, vlogging, and blogging. That's a while. That's a, that's a while to go without posting. Absolutely. And fortunately, there is 
an encounter that she had with a fellow traveler on August 10th. And he's come forward and described his interaction with both Gabby and Brian. And so that's what I'm going to be describing here right now. Jay Foster, he's 27 years old from Alabama. He had also been traveling with his girlfriend. They had converted a Volkswagen van and they actually met up with Gabby and Brian near the Delicate Arch in Moab, Utah. They showed off their vans and talked for a while. And then Jay went off on a hike with his girlfriend. Looking back, he says that he didn't really see anything unusual or anything uncomfortable between the couple. He said that they were holding hands and laughing. He further elaborated, quote, like, it is crazy because nothing seemed odd at all. You know, that's the Mm. weirdest part about this is that nothing seemed off. In fact, Jay actually said that he didn't realize he had met Gabby until he checked back on his cell phone notes. And they had actually exchanged Instagram handles and YouTube information. And that's when he knew that Gabby was the girl that he had met. He described Mm -hmm. her as the sweetest girl that he had met on the road and that Brian seemed like a genuine guy. He went on to say, quote, I really hope that somebody finds her. You know, I really do. Because she was such a sweet person, I sat there and talked to her forever. Two days later, a witness calls 911 and reports a man and a woman in a physical altercation. And I'm going to play the 911 phone call here. Grant County Sheriff's Office. Were you able to get a description of the investigation? All right, can you hear me, sir? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, uh, I'm calling. I'm right on the corner of Main Street by Moonflower. And we're driving by, and I'd like to report a domestic dispute. Florida with the white van. Florida license plate. White land. Gentleman. Where's the Five, six, beard. They just drove off. They're going down Main Street. They made a, uh, a right onto Main Street from Moonflower. Or what were they doing? But, um, what'd you say? What were they doing? Uh, we drove by and the gentleman was slapping the girl. Who was slapping her? Yes, and then we stopped. They ran up and down the sidewalk. He proceeded to hit her, hopped in the car, and they drove off. Moonflower Co-op is in Moab, about 140 miles southeast of Provo. Now, an officer named Daniel Scott Robbins responds to the 911 call. The van is in his sights, but he's having trouble keeping up since Brian is driving 45 miles per hour in a 15-mile zone. Officer Robin turns on the lights, and suddenly, Gabby and Brian's van hits a curb and comes to a complete stop. Thanks to Officer Robin's body cam footage, we are given a glimpse into this event. I personally first caught this footage from Sarah Turney. And if you want to check out the footage, definitely head over to Sarah Turney's TikTok. She is at Sarah Turney. There are five parts and it truly is an important piece to this case and to the investigation at this time. Because when you really think about it, it's some of the only footage our only glimpse into what was maybe going on around this time for Gabby and Brian that wasn't curated by them personally, whether it was recording for a future YouTube video or being posted on Instagram, anything that was curated by them. This was raw footage and a very raw look into what was going on at that time. 
Not the full picture by any means, but definitely a different perspective. The footage captured the officer separating Brian and Gabby as they individually described what had happened, or at least their story as to why someone would call 911 on them. And, you know, I could explain it till I'm blue in the face, but I really think that Gabby's own words and Brian's own words should be used here. And so we're going to insert some clips here for you guys to hear it from their own mouths. What's you guys' names? Gabby. I'm Brian. Gabby, Brian. Okay. What's going on? How come you're crying? I'm just crying. We've just been fighting this morning. Some personal issues. It was a long day. We were camping yesterday and camping got supplies and stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hit the, the bump there. <laughs> I was distracting him from driving. I'm sorry. Can I get you to step out of the vehicle for me, man? Yeah. Just hang tight right there. Um, do you mind if I take your keys and just put them on your hood? You got it, buddy. I'm so Thank sorry. You. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm going to go ahead and close your door. Okay. Why don't you come over here? SO229. I have the female that was on the passenger mm-hmm. seat separated from the male. Keys are on the hood. You want to tell me what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. It's just some days I, <laughs> I have really bad OCD. And okay. I just, I was just cleaning and straightening up the back of the van before, and I was apologizing to him and saying, I'm sorry that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and sometimes I just get really frustrated. Not like mean towards him. I just like. I guess my vibe is like I would be like in a bad mood and I was just saying I'm sorry if I'm in a bad mood I've just been really stressed I had so much work I was doing on my computer this morning what do you do for a living? Um, well I, I hate to forget an organic juice bar but I just hit my job Okay. I was a nutritionist. That's oh, what, okay. that was my That's job. Cool. And I just um, quit my job to travel across the country. And I'm trying to start a blog. Okay. So, so I've been building my website. So I've just been really stressed. And he doesn't really believe that I could do any of it. So that's kind of been like a... I don't know. He's like... In, down there. I don't know. We've just been fighting all morning. And... <laughs> And he wouldn't let me in the car before. And then Why I, wouldn't he let you in the car? Because you have OCD? He told me I needed to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm perfectly calm. I'm calm all the time. And he really stresses me out. And I just... And this is a rough morning. Tell me, what's going on? It, the shoes gets worked up sometimes. And I try and really distance myself from her. So, like, I, I lock the car and I walk away from her. What, what happened this morning is that... She's trying to start up like her own little website blog and everything. So I give her time. And I, we really had a nice morning, if any, and if anything. But um, she just got worked up because we were trying to get going and get our day going because we want to go um, like hard to play this time. Okay. You, you want to tell me about those scratches on your face? She had a cell phone in her hand. That's why I was pushing her away. Because I, she, she wanted. To, I locked the keys so I could walk away. I, I said, let's just take a breather and let's not. You know, go anywhere, let's just calm down for a minute because she's getting worked up. And then she had her phone and was trying to get the keys to me, so I got away. I was just trying to, I know I shouldn't push, but I was just trying to push her away to go, let's, let's just take a minute, step back, and breathe. And you see, she got me with her phone. Can I see your hand? Oh, you got a mark right here. Oh, that's from a wire. That's from a wire? Yeah. You want to tell me about hitting that curve? Hitting the curve was her grabbing the wheel. 
Did she grab the wheel? Yeah. She said, I can't believe we're getting pulled over and then she did it. Everything she's saying is the same thing. I haven't heard what he said, but if that's what he said, it's also what the witness is saying. The witness says, I never saw him hit her. I saw him shove her, but I couldn't tell if it was an aggression against her or a defense against her as far as her, you know, being the aggressor. So at this point, from what, unless the guy's screaming that he needs to go to jail and did something to this girl, it sounds to me like she is the primary aggressor. Yeah. Now, the problem with her being the primary aggressor is in an incidence of domestic assault, be it a male or be it a female, we shall arrest. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to go to jail. We can do a citation if it meets one of three criterion, which one of them is that we can ensure that they're not going to um, further risk each other's safety. But the problem with that is they live in the same vehicle. That's what I was going to say. The and other part of it is... There was actually an injury to, to the victim, which is him. Right. And I'm getting conflicting stories about why they hit the curb up here. Oh, what, mean, what did he say why he hit the curb? Well, I've watched it. This is what I saw first. Saw him cross the double yellow. I was doing 42 miles an hour. I was, I don't know, probably two car lengths behind him. Tapping my whales at him, trying to get his attention. They knew I was behind him. And then after he crossed the double yellow, he merged over into the right lane. And then out of nowhere, just boom, he hit the curb. So did he tell you why? He said that she grabbed the wheel and turned it real hard. She said that she was hitting him in the arm. So Sounds legit. I mean, I'm sure if I'm driving and my arm's on the wheel and I'm getting hit in the arm, I'm probably pulling out the wheel. Yeah. And I'm sure it was a little of both. I'm using the truth somewhere between. He's probably trying not to say that he hit her because he probably doesn't want her charged with assault, yeah. domestic assault. He probably would rather say she pulled the wheel than hit, hit him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately for her, she... We, we cannot treat just because he's bigger and stronger, and even if he's not willing to press charges, we can't treat this differently than if it was a male on female violence. Yeah. And we're going to have to charge her. And um, we can do a citation if there's some arrangement that can be made to separate them. And then we have to let them know that there's no contact order in effect. Yeah. And we have to let him know the only way to drop is to go into the police department during business hours and fill out a waiver. Which, by the way, what's it's today? Too late Thursday? Today. So it won't be until tomorrow. Gabby. This is a very, very important question. How you answer this question is going to determine what happens next. But the only person who can answer this question is you. <laughs> Think very hard before you answer the question. Do not quickly answer it. Think very hard. When you slapped him those times, were you attempting to cause him physical pain or physical impairment? Was that what you were attempting to do? What were you what were you attempting to do? What was the reason behind the slapping and stuff? What was what was it you were attempting to accomplish by slapping? I was trying to get him to stop telling me to hunt him. Well it doesn't sound to me like she attempted to injure him. It's your call. I am looking at a hundred and ten pound female and her fiance who have no means to be separated. He doesn't want to pursue it. She's not a threat to him more than slight abrasions from her fingernails. I I don't care if, if we use the actual letter of the law to, to not charge, but I also don't care because it literally does possibly make perfect sense to go full-on domestic assault and do the whole thing. This is uh, your opportunity to make the decision. Let's, I, I better go on that. You got this? 
I'm making this decision. I'm gonna side him. I'm gonna go okay. all through the first. Would you feel more comfortable here. handling that guy? Okay. If you're more comfortable. Well, I'm. It's six one way, half dozen the other. I mean, it's a headache whether I go left or it's a headache whether I go Look, right. Another option is to not charge them but separate them through the night. If they find themselves together again, what is it to you? You separated them. You provided for his safety. If he doesn't have enough sense to stay away and you, you got him separated, it's on him. For a good portion of the hour-long body cam footage the officers do discuss the possibility of Gabby being charged with domestic violence. And because of this, Gabby is even more emotional, rightfully so. Brian insists that he does not want to press charges, but that's something that the officers have to do at their own discretion. Eventually, Officer Robbins is given the opportunity to make the call for himself. Will he or won't he charge this 22-year-old girl with domestic violence. While Officer Robbins chooses not to charge this 22-year-old girl with domestic violence, he does caution the couple to spend some time apart. And he does his best to accommodate this by getting Brian a hotel room through a domestic violence organization. And with that in mind, he tells both of them individually to refrain from contact until the next morning. After that, Brian is driven to the hotel where he would be staying for the night and Gabby is given her keys to leave and um, reconnect with Brian the next day. But before we move on from August 12th, I really want to talk about a couple things that caught my attention. I thought it was unusual that in Brian's description of his trip with Gabby, he tells the officer that they've been traveling for four to five months with each other. But we all know, because we just went through the timeline, that they didn't start traveling until July 2nd. Granted, they did drive up to New York in June, uh, you know, the middle of June, but really that's nowhere near four to five months. Did he mean four to five weeks? I'm not sure, but this is something that he repeated twice. And that's why it really just felt unusual to me. We're obviously trying to be careful of not throwing out theories or uh, make something that it's not when it comes to this case, because so many already have. But in this case, that's just the fact of it is a discrepancy. Four to five months is said. It was only a month, month and a half. Thank you for bringing that up. That is definitely not our intention to create any more theories. But it is something that, caught me off guard when he had said that. Another thing that caught me off guard was the fact that this is the video footage or the audio, because that's what you guys will be listening to, where they describe each other as fiancés. So what was their relationship status at this point? Well, from their mouth, it is that they are an engaged couple. And so that was just something else I wanted to point out. Before I fully leave August 12th, in our timeline, I do want to discuss one quote by her friend, Gabby's friend, Rose Davis. And in this quote, she talks about her reaction to seeing the, the body cam footage of Gabby and Brian. Rose said, quote, for her anxiety to act up like that, there has to be a decent thing to trigger it, unquote. Rose went on to elaborate that she was aware that Gabby suffered from anxiety, but she only wished 
that Gabby had decided to call her after this incident. Fortunately, we do know that Gabby was in contact with someone. On the body cam footage, you can clearly see and hear Gabby ask for her phone to call her parents. We don't know what was said during that phone call, but that is something that I wanted to let our listeners know happened. The following day, August 13th, marks the last time Brian Laundrie posted to Instagram. Fast forward to August 19th. It's this day that Brian and Gabby launched their YouTube channel called Nomadic Static. It was registered with an email address belonging to Gabby that was created back in 2013. There's only a single video on this YouTube channel. And that's what I was referring to earlier when I described that little blurb they had talked about their 2019 road trip in her small Sentra, which served as sort of their inspiration for this new road trip that they were on. The single video is titled Van Life colon Beginning Our Van Life Journey. It's an eight-minute video and it has music and features a montage of their trip across the United States. It shows Gabby driving, Gabby running along the beach, she's making yogurt, Brian and Gabby kissing. She even says towards the end of the video, I love the van. And then you get a quick shot of the white Ford parked in the Utah desert. Also on this day, August 19th, Gabby posted photos showing the interior and exterior of her camper van. And a lot of people have taken notice of the lack of location tag on this series of photos. Something that was so unusual for Gabby's Instagram posts. We're not sure exactly what that means, but we wanted to bring that up because it is something that is questionable. It's another one of those discrepancies that people are questioning. We're not going to make our own assumptions on this show, but we've got to paint the facts for what they are. And this is of interest to many with their eyes on the case. Absolutely. Two days later on August 21st, Gabby had contact with her father, Joseph Petito. Where Gabby and Brian were staying, they did not have Wi-Fi. So Gabby's father placed an Uber Eats order for the couple. Joseph Petito went on to say, quote, I know it was in Salt Lake City. It was the last time I spoke to her, unquote. Three days later on August 24th, Gabby and Brian check out of the Fairfield Inn and Suites. Investigators have contacted the hotel employees and they've asked them questions about their experience with the couple. The public doesn't know what was said by the hotel employees, but again, I just want to give as many facts as I can. According to Gabby's parents, Brian and Gabby were leaving Salt Lake City to head towards Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And it's on this day that Nicole Schmidt, Gabby's mother, last spoke to her daughter. They chatted over FaceTime and ended the call with Gabby promising to call her mom later. And like I mentioned previously, Gabby was really known to contact her mom via FaceTime. They talked about three times a week while on the trip. And she would do so just to keep her mom in the loop whenever she had Wi-Fi. The following day, August 25th, is Gabby Petito's last post on Instagram. Again, this series of photos has caused quite a stir on the internet, on social media. I'm not going to go into any of the theories that people have about it, because like Paige has mentioned, that's not what we're about. But I do want to just describe what we're seeing here. 
in the collection of photos, Gabby is holding a knit little jack-o'-lantern in her hands. The caption reads, Happy Halloween. Again, this series of photos does not have a location tag, which again was unlike Gabby. People are really questioning whether or not she posted these. One of the big things about these photos that's of interest is that they do not match the aesthetic of the Instagram. And we know that Gabby really had that artistic creative side to her, uh, which was exhibited in the aesthetics of things that she posted. And in this case, they didn't match at all. And it's also of interest that Halloween was mentioned on August 25th. We're more than two months away from Halloween. So it's of interest to many when they look at these photos as to why are we talking about Halloween and why don't these photos match the aesthetic? One final point about the post on August 25th was the fact that the mural behind Gabby in these photos, Monarch in Moda, that's what it's titled, by artist Jane Kim, was painted at the Monarch, which is an artistic hub in Ogden, Utah. But if you remember, the day before, August 24th, Gabby had told her mother that they would be on their way to the Grand Teton in Wyoming. Right. It brings into question why they would be in Ogden, Utah, when they were supposed to be on their way to Wyoming. One of the routes, when you map it out, does place you going through Ogden on your way from Salt Lake to Grand Teton, but that route is an hour longer than the other two routes that are available according to Apple Maps. So it is probable that they could have stopped there, but it's also in question, would they have, why would they have? August 25th also marks the last day Gabby's mother ever received a text from her. The text reads, quote, no service in Yosemite, unquote. A number of news outlets and internet sleuths and even Gabby's mother, Nicole Schmidt, are uncertain whether or not Gabby sent that text. We're not going to speculate on this podcast, but I wanted to throw that out there. Unfortunately, because that is Gabby's last post on Instagram, we really can't continue on with the Instagram timeline. But fortunately, we have other sources. For example, August 29th, there's a TikToker who came into contact with Brian. This TikToker is named Miranda Baker, and she claims to have picked up Brian at Coulter Bay in Grand Teton National Park that evening. Miranda describes the event as Brian approaching her and her boyfriend around 5.30 local time. And he asks them for a ride to Jackson, which is where she happened to be heading with her boyfriend. He even offered them $200 for the ride. That seems like an excessive amount to go not that many miles. No, it was it would have been a 10-mile trip. According to Miranda, they accepted Brian's offer and he hopped in their car. He claimed to have been camping and this is in quotes for multiple days without his fiance, who he said, quote, was working on their social media page back at their van. And this is when things get weird according to Miranda Baker. She claims to have brought up their own plans, her plans with her boyfriend to go to Jackson Hole. And according to Miranda, Brian freaked out and he wanted out of the car. As a result, Miranda and her boyfriend pulled over at the Jackson Dam, which is not far from Coulter Bay at 6.09 p.m. 
She says, quote, he kind of like hurried out of the car and was like, okay, I'm just going to find someone else to hitchhike with. And we were like, okay, it was a weird situation. She describes Brian as wearing a backpack and long sleeves and hiking boots and some scruffy facial hair. But she thought it was unusual that he didn't seem to look or smell, quote, dirty, how one would be after camping for several days. Authorities have acknowledged that they've spoken to Miranda about her encounter with Brian. And we don't know any more information about what happened after that. August 29th also marked Gabby's friend Rose's birthday. And it's this day that they were actually supposed to meet up in Grand Teton, Wyoming. Rose went ahead and took the days off of work to make her way over to the National Park. But she never got in touch with Gabby. She assumed her friend had gotten busy and, you know, was a little disappointed, but assumed she'd talk to her another time. Even Rose said, quote, my birthday is the 29th. I don't know why she'd send that text to her mom and not message me. I also don't think she'd text her mom, no service. She'd call as soon as she had service, in my opinion. What happened after August 29th is really a mystery. Two days later on September 1st, Brian Laundrie ends up home in South Florida, except he was alone with the van. Growing concerned about the lack of response from her daughter, Gabby's mom was starting to get worried. Why wasn't her daughter texting her back? When would she have service? And that's when she started contacting Brian to no avail. She contacted Brian's family to no avail. She even started calling the National Park Service to see if Brian and Gabby had made reservations, but she couldn't find anything. As the days passed, she grew more and more concerned for her daughter's safety. By September 10th, Gabby's parents were ready for answers. Her father, I believe I mentioned earlier, lived in Florida. He had moved there soon after Gabby had moved in with Brian. As a result, he was a couple hours away from the laundry home and he made his way there. We don't know too much about the encounter, but it's believed that they didn't give him any answers. The following day, September 11th, Gabby's mother, Nicole, reported her missing. After getting the runaround with some law enforcement agencies, Gabby's mother finally was able to make a missing persons report with a detective at the 5th Precinct in Suffolk County, New York. In response to the missing persons report, police went to the laundry family residence. There they found Gabby's converted van, but no Gabby. When asked to speak to Brian's parents, they refused to give comment and instead gave them the card for their lawyer. There's a quote from a Florida police officer that says, quote, we make an attempt to talk with Brian and his family declined to make him available. And they gave us the information for his attorney. They did, however, see Gabby's van and collect it for further investigation. Three days later on September 14th, Brian issued a statement through his lawyer. The statement reads, this is understandably an extremely difficult time for both the Petito family and the Laundry family. It is our understanding that a search has been organized for Miss Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. On behalf of the Laundry family, it is our hope that the search for Miss Petito is successful and that Miss Petito is reunited with her family. 
on the advice of counsel, the Laundry family is remaining in the background at this juncture and will have no further comment. The Petito family issued their own statement, and the statement read, quote, they are frantically searching for answers and information in their daughter's disappearance, while Brian sits in the comfort of his home. Brian's attorney elaborated that he had advised his client to not speak on the matter because, quote, intimate partners are often the first police focus on. And as we all know, everyone has the right to counsel and is innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. In another statement by the Petito family, they say, quote, Brian is refusing to tell Gabby's family where he last saw her. Brian is also refusing to explain why he left Gabby all alone and drove her van to Florida. They end by saying these are critical questions that require immediate answers. A GoFundMe fundraiser was created by a family friend to support the search for Gabby. And at that point in time, it had raised over $27,000. The following day, September 15th, police named Brian as a person of interest in Gabby's disappearance. And the families again released more statements. In the Petito family statement, they say, quote, Brian, your silence is reprehensible. We beg you to do the right thing and help us bring Gabby home. Brian, whatever happened in Wyoming happened. The only thing you can control is what you do now. Tell us where Gabby is. You tarnish your love for her with your silence. I think we need to take a second after that statement because that is intense and shows their absolute disgust with the lack of information that they felt that he had. You're so right. And they weren't the only ones that felt that way. Northport Police even tweeted Brian's lawyer, Mr. Stephen Bertolino. And in this tweet, they wrote, Mr. Stephen Bertolino Esquire, the Northport Police needs your help in finding Gabby Petito. Please call us to arrange a conversation with Brian Laundry. Two people left on a trip and one person returned. Again, another powerful statement. And it's just the truth. Two left, one came back, and that one isn't giving any answers. No. But Gabby's family wasn't going to give up. The following day, September 16th, her parents sent a letter to the laundries. They reiterated that they believe they know the location Brian left Gabby. In it, they say, quote, we beg you to tell us. As a parent, how could you put Gabby's younger brothers and sisters through this? Gabby lived with you for over a year. She was going to be your daughter-in-law. How can you keep her location hidden? On September 17th, police were informed by the Laundry family that Brian had gone missing from his family home. Northport Police spokesperson Josh Taylor told CNN and other news outlets that the Laundry family had informed authorities that Brian had been missing since Tuesday, September 14th, but they waited days to inform them of this information. The Northport police spokesperson went on to say, quote, we've been trying all week to talk to his family, to talk to Brian, and now they've called us here on Friday. We've gone to the home and they're saying now that they have not seen their son. So we are working through those details as we speak. It is another twist in this story. He further elaborates that this interaction with Brian's parents is the first 
one that police have had with the Laundry family since Gabby has been reported missing. Brian's lawyer confirmed the reports. He told local reporters, quote, be advised that the whereabouts of Brian Laundry are currently unknown. Dozens of Northport police officers, FBI agents, and members of other law enforcement agencies searched the 24,000-acre Carlton Reserve in Sarasota, Florida. This is a response to Brian's family saying that that's where they believe he had gone. We now know why they believe that he went there. I don't want to jump ahead too far in our timeline, but just today, Monday, September 20th, news reports have come out that Brian's parents actually picked up the Ford Mustang he had driven to that reserve and brought it home without telling anyone. Brian's parents went on to say that he had left with only a backpack to that nature reserve. The following day, Saturday, September 18th, the Northport community held a prayer vigil for Gabby. Late Sunday evening, September 19th, 2021, news reports were released that a body was found matching the description of Gabby Petito. The body was found in Gabby and Brian's last known location of Grand Teton, Wyoming. While news outlets have yet to officially confirm whether or not the body is Gabby's, Gabby's father, Joseph Petito, took to social media to make the announcement. On Instagram, Joseph Petito posted a picture of Gabby standing in front of a mural with angel wings. The caption has a broken heart with the hashtag Gabby Petito and one sentence that says, she touched the world. I had intended to end the episode on Joseph Petito's quote about his daughter. But as we're recording this, I happen to look at the news of the updates that I've been following on her case. And as of 35 minutes ago, police have declared Brian Laundrie's family home in Florida as a crime scene. As Joseph Petito's Instagram post says, Gabby really has touched the world. It's unfortunate that one of the ways she's touched the world is through the widespread notoriety of the case. But I think Sarah Turney says it best. She says, I'm beyond happy for Gabby Petito is receiving as much media as she is. It's a blessing that I hope most of you never understand. So before posting about how unfair it is that other cases don't get the same attention, remember there's a family out there that needs this. I'm not denying the facts of which cases get more attention than others. It's a sad reality that blonde white women get a ton of attention. I've benefited from this. What I'm saying is it's not Gabby's fault. She deserves the attention just as all these cases do. It's a blessing for her family. Don't take that away from them by using Gabby's hashtag to promote other cases or to complain that other cases aren't getting enough attention. We all know it's a fight to get these cases in the media. Gabby is one of the lucky ones. And again, I imagine her family is beyond grateful for that, just as you would be if it was your family member. Please be kind. I could not have said it better. And let's hope that this case also brings notoriety and further awareness to the inequity of case coverage and media attention. With that, we'll leave the episode here. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com, at the Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, and at the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com. 
And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.